Hey, everybody, Elizabeth here. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to make sure that you know registration is currently open for our Spring Strong Foundations cohort. Strong Foundations is a five-week strength building program brought to you by me and Morgan Bungers. Coach Morgan Bungers is one of the best, most effective strength training coaches in this country. He has worked with some of the most elite athletes in the world, and now he specializes working with people in their 40s, in their 50s, in their 60s who want everyday strength. And this is not about being able to push your suitcase into the overhead compartment on an airplane. We need to be consistently and effectively strength training if we want to maintain the strength of our immune system. Muscle is a critical part of our immune system. And if we are not actively maintaining our strength, we are losing it as we age. And that means we are losing the strength of our immune system. It's also a significant component of our overall metabolism, especially our carbohydrate metabolism. Muscle mass plays a huge role in energy, in mood, mental health, bone health, so many different things. This is just not optional, but a lot of us don't do it because we aren't sure what to do. We aren't sure what not to do. We aren't sure if we're moving well. We don't know how to accommodate for our physical limitations or our current level of fitness, and that is why you need a coach and you'd be hard-pressed to find one better than Morgan Bungers. Now, here's the thing about fitness programs. I've experienced this. My mom, who's in her 70s, has experienced this, where you buy a fitness program and then you're like, okay, but I I can't do that workout because I'm not fit enough or I don't have enough balance or I don't have that equipment or that hurts my knees or it hurts my back. And then you're sort of just left to figure it out yourself, which means we often don't do anything. The great thing about Strong Foundations is that Morgan and I are part of it every single day and you have an unlimited ability to ask us questions in a group setting or via direct message so that Morgan can help you scale for you, for whatever equipment you have, for the time that you have, for your fitness level, for your body and your physical limitations. Five weeks, there's two different tiers. There's a beginner intermediate tier. There's an intermediate advanced tier. The testimonials that we have received from our previous clients will blow your mind. You can check them out and also register for your spot by going to primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. If you are an alum, if you have been through strong foundations before, I've already emailed you a renewal link with a special renewal rate. So please use that. If you don't see that email, let me know. For the rest of you, primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation. We start on May 13th. So grab your spot now. You will have these workouts for life. Four workouts a week for five weeks, two different tiers. So you've got 40 workouts total. Plus, there is a five-part series on your pelvic floor. That is an incredibly important part of your physical fitness, of your strength, of your core strength, of your overall health, of your ability to maintain functional mobility as you get older. We want you to be a part of this. You will not regret joining the Strong Foundations cohort. It is an incredible community. 
everybody needs to be consistently and effectively strength training. And if you're not, it's probably because you don't know how to make it work for you. And it can be made to work for you. It needs to be made to work for you. Primalpotential.com forward slash strong foundation to register now. Let's get into the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. Hope you are doing well. This is an important episode. This is an episode that in going through the research and following down the rabbit holes, I've made some changes. I've made some changes to what's in my home. I've made some changes to um, my purchasing patterns this is important stuff, guys. So what I want to do is I want to talk about seed oils. And I am pretty sure that there will be lots of questions that come up from this episode. And I want to hear them. If you want me to explain something further, if you have a question, if there's something you want to dive deeper into, please let me know because I would love to do a part two of this episode. Chances are you've heard of seed oils and chances are you probably understand that they're they're not healthy. They're not recommended. So you probably know they aren't good for you, but most people couldn't tell you what exactly seed oils are, what the problem is with them, why are they bad on the scale of like big rock, small rock, how important is it that we avoid them, what are they found in, what should I use instead, So you're going to talk about all of that. I also did something for this episode that I haven't done in many years, and that is I did a show notes page. Um, Well, I don't even really know if I can call it a show notes page. I did a blog on my website, primalpotential.com. If you're somebody that likes to see something in writing, I summarized a lot of this stuff there that we're going to talk about today. Uh, So I know some people are visual. And uh, you can check that out as well. Okay, let's start at the top. Keeping in mind, if you have questions, if there are things that I say that don't make sense, let me know. We'll do a part two. Seed oils are a subgroup of vegetable oils. Okay, so I think we all understand what vegetable oils are. Then there's a category under this umbrella of vegetable oils that is seed oils. Seed oils are oils that come from seeds, yes, obviously, but also grains because grains are technically seeds of grasses. So grains are seeds. And of course, seeds are seeds. So seed oils are oils pressed from seeds or grains. We're talking about, and we'll get into a lot more detail of like what we're talking about, what we're talking about, um, canola oil, corn oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, palm kernel oil, all of those kinds of things. That's what we're talking about. Within these seed oils, the most abundant type of fat is a polyunsaturated fat known as linoleic acid. Not to be confused with linolenic acid, that is different, linoleic acid. Linoleic acid is actually naturally found in a lot of foods. It's problematic in these seed oils because the concentration of this linoleic acid is exponentially higher than in other foods. Uh, It was just, as of when I'm recording this, it was a couple days ago that Dr. Paul Saladino did a video on social media and he was talking about rice bran oil. And he was saying like, 
yes, this is naturally occurring in rice, but like in brown rice, but you would have to eat 34 cups of rice to get the oil equivalent of like one serving of a meal cooked with it. So we're talking about exponentially more of this linoleic acid in the oils than in the whole foods. In the whole foods, they would be in our diet in very, very low amounts because we're not going to have 34 cups of rice as one component of a meal multiple times a day. You know, when we have it in this concentrated form, it's a big problem. And we're going to talk about why. Another part of the problem is the prevalence, the abundance. These things are absolutely everywhere. Restaurants use them because they're cheaper than animal fats and they're more flavor neutral than, say, like olive oil. But they are everywhere. Restaurants are using them, but they're also in most processed foods and things that you would never think of. This, you know, is super concerning. And I, I remember uh, when the twins were in the NICU and we had this like, days long, maybe even weeks long conversation as they transitioned off of tube feedings to bottle feedings about formula. When they were on tube feedings, they were getting my breast milk via the tube right to their belly. And then when they started to transition to bottles, they were just really having trouble swallowing. And there was a lot of encouragement to go to formula. And I just kept saying to my husband over and over again, like, the formulas have seed oils in them and they shouldn't, but they're versatile and they're inexpensive and they're light and they have a long shelf life. So I understand from like a, a business and a commerce standpoint why it makes sense, but I just can't, I can't justify giving my little, you know, at that time they were probably like four and five pounds, babies, these seed oils, but most baby formulas have seed oil. Freaking orange juice, processed orange juice has it in there. Uh, coffee creamers, coffee made, salad dressings, condiments, crackers, chips, candies, protein bars, bread, biscuits, cookies, you know, popcorn, not necessarily the popcorn you're going to pop, right? Oftentimes that's just the kernel and it's in there, but it's not in the concentration, concentrated amounts that we see in the oils, ice cream, granola. We're going to talk more about this. Before we get to that, though, and the problem with seed oils and, and what they look like on labels so you know what to look out for, I want to talk a little bit about the history. So initially, there was just all this extra stuff that was going to be waste, extra agricultural product that just was discarded. And as still happens today, when there's a lot of a waste product, like we do this now with plastics, like, geez, what could we do to get more out of this? We see this with clothing. Like, how could we use this to make something else? People were having those conversations in the early 1900s about all of these crops. So they started to use seed oils as machine lubricants. They would grind down the seeds and they made really awesome machine lubricants. Well, here they were, super inexpensive because the, the stuff had already been grown. It was there. And people started to wonder, hey, what else could we do? Where there's innovation, there's opportunity for financial gain. So people start to say, like, could we use it for this? And the fact that it was light, the fact that it was cheap, the fact that it didn't spoil, Crisco was born. Everybody knows Crisco, right? That came right after its use in, in machine lubrication. 
Prior to this innovation, only about 2%-ish of our total calories came from linoleic acid. Because again, yes, it is in the food supply, but in so much smaller amounts. And that number has dramatically increased. As a percentage, it's over 10x, right? When we look at like our base consumption, not as a percentage of calories, we're eating a thousand times more than we used to. So in the 50s, the machine lubricant part and Crisco was like early 1900s. In the 50s, President Eisenhower had a heart attack and all of this national attention went to heart disease. If you are not familiar with the name Ansel Keys and his work that turned into recommendations for like reducing saturated fat and vilifying fat, especially vilifying animal fat, saturated fat, and recommending these like unsaturated fats. In in more recent years, all of this corruption and money and bad science has come to light and his recommendations were absolute garbage, not based on science. Go down that rabbit hole on your own time. It's fascinating. Um, But because all of that was happening, consumers started moving away from animal products like lard and butters as fat sources and opting for the newfound canola oil and other seed oils. And our consumption has increased more than 1,000 times. Okay, so as a percentage of calories, it's more than 10 times more. But like base consumption, we're having 1,000 times more canola or more of these seed oils than we did prior to their their introduction or, or a thousand times more of linoleic acid I should say um, than we were before the introduction of seed oils. Now in that time obesity skyrocketed uh, chronic disease of all kinds mental health issues of all kinds right we talk about cognitive uh, degenerative issues and cancers and heart disease, all of that went on the incline. Now, obviously, we can't say correlation is the same as causation. It's not. The trends do matter. But what we also have, in addition to just the sort of observational trend information, is we have science. We've got data. We've got research on these seed oils, specifically this linoleic acid, and what's happening. So let's talk about that. What is the problem with seed oils? This is where things get technical, okay? This is a little bit of like organic chemistry stuff, but I'm going to try and make it as simple and straightforward as possible. And as I said at the top of the show, if you've got questions, if I lose you at any point, please do reach out. I really want to make sure that you understand this, so just let me know. So we're talking about linoleic acid. That is the concerning piece of seed oils for the most part, right? Linoleic acid is an omega-6 polyunsaturated fatty acid. That's a lot. But you've probably heard about omega-6s and omega-3s, right? So that's familiar. And you've certainly heard about unsaturated versus saturated fat or monounsaturated like uh, olive oil or polyunsaturated. So when we talk about fats, we can classify them as either, either saturated or unsaturated. Butter, lard, those are saturated fats. Uh, What we're talking about today with seed oils, those are unsaturated fats. Then there's additional breakdown of categories when we're talking about unsaturated fats. Then we can look at monounsaturated or polyunsaturated fats. I already said that the 
the majority of the fat in olive oil is monounsaturated. What determines if a fat is a saturated fat or a monounsaturated fat or a polyunsaturated fat is the presence of a number of double bonds. Okay, so now we're talking like molecular structure, organic chem. Bear with me. I'll make this quick and painless. So fats are made up of fatty acids. Easy enough, right? Well, fatty acids are made up of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. And essentially, to simplify it, fatty acids, which make up fats, are the long chains of carbons. They've got a carboxyl group at one end, and then they have hydrogen atoms down the length of that, length of that carbon chain, that carbon backbone. If there are no double bonds in the chain, it's a saturated fat. It is fully saturated. The carbons are fully saturated with hydrogens. Everywhere that there can be a hydrogen, there is one because there's like certain spots where it can connect. If it's fully saturated with hydrogen, it is a saturated fat. If it is not fully saturated, that means there's a double bond and it's essentially like a space missing because instead of attaching to two hydrogens, it's only one via a double bond. If there's just one double bond, that's monounsaturated. If there's more than one double bond, it's polyunsaturated. When we think of like saturated fat means that it's fully saturated with hydrogen, it also means it's more stable. It's more linear. Saturated fats are solid at room temperature, right? Butter, lard, they're solid at room temperature. Crisco being the anomaly frankenfood, when we talk about canola oil, safflower oil, corn oil, all of those, uh, those are unsaturated fats. They're liquid at room temperature. You can also think of it as they are less stable. They are less stable. Well, what does that mean? They're more likely to oxidize. And we're going to talk about what that means and why that is important. Since saturated fats are more chemically stable and unsaturated fats are less chemically stable, their unsaturated fats are, are reactive, okay? When I say that they're less stable, I mean they're reactive because they have loose electrons. And, you know, the movement and exchange of electrons in the body, that is part of life. That is normal. But what happens when we have these like open spots, we have extra electrons, unpaired electrons, they get stolen or they get lent, donated, borrowed. And what that creates is instability. All right. You've probably heard the term fat oxidizing, right? Or, or oxidation. And when I have typically thought of fat oxidizing, to me, it means it's going bad. It's going rancid. And that is true. But if we were to like peel back and look at what's happening here on a molecular level, oxidation is actually the loss of electrons, Okay. Remember, saturated fats, they're, they're stable. They're fully saturated. There aren't any open spaces. And so their, their electrons are like secure. They're not going to go anywhere. It's not the case in unsaturated fats. And so when they, when these unsaturated fats oxidize, which to us means like, you know, being rancid, they've lost their electrons. The reason this matters is because an unpaired electron 
is known as a free radical. Free radicals are very, re- very reactive. They're, they're being stolen. They're, they're all, that's just like a cascade effect. So when this happens and they oxidize, which means they lose their electron, they create this, this literal domino effect of electron theft, a, an unchecked cascade of damage and instability. When this happens, when the unpaired electron is lost, stolen within this polyunsaturated fat, that fat becomes known as a lipid peroxide. Now, the other really interesting thing that we have to consider is that this whole process of this oxidation, this loss of electrons that creates this free radical nightmare domino effect kind of shit show, this is magnified when heat is applied. Have you ever heard that like butter or uh, lard has a higher smoke point than canola oil or even olive oil? That is because this, this oxidation, this loss of electrons is magnified when heat is applied. So it's like more dangerous and even worse and creates more of uh, this, this molecular instability in the body when these seed oils are heated in any way. And that could be heated because you're cooking with them or it could be heated in the process of creating uh, some sort of processed food or both. So what's, I mean, that's bad, right? We don't want this free radical chaos happening in the body. That's where a lot of like cellular damage happens. That's the initiation of a lot of cellular diseases like cancer. But what's even more damaging within the body than the linoleic acid itself, than the fact that it's unstable and it has these unpaired electrons, what's even worse are the byproducts of linoleic acid in the human body. Okay, so linoleic acid produces toxic byproducts. Everything in our body creates metabolic byproducts. Linoleic acid, the byproducts are toxic. And there's a a few of them of note. And really the names are kind of inconsequential. Acroline is one. Uh, You might see the acronym HNE. It refers to 4-hydroxy-nonol. Nonanol? And MDA. Okay, Acroline is one of the toxins found in cigarette smoke, known, well-known to cause lung damage. This is one of the metabolic byproducts of linoleic acid, right? It is a biocide. Acroline is a biocide. I studied Latin. I love words. Bio means life. Side means kill. So it literally kills life. It's a biocide. No bueno. You don't want it in your body. H-N-E and M-D-A. They are both cytotoxic and mutagenic, okay? Cytotoxic. Cyto meaning cells, toxic, pretty clear. Toxic to the cells. And then mutagenic, they create, they alter DNA, right? They mutate the genes. Muta, mutate, genic, genes. So we've got things that are toxic to the cells and mutate genes that are metabolic byproducts of linoleic acid. And we know that the concentration of linoleic acid in these oils is off the freaking charts. Absolutely crazy. Now, in addition to being cytotoxic and mutagenic, NHE is, you know, and this is really, well, I'll, I'll explain that in one second, but getting ahead of myself. When we 
biopsy uh, brain tissue, especially brain tissue in damaged brains. So think um, cognitive degenerative diseases, Alzheimer's, things like that. NHE is always present in damaged brain tissue, but not present in brain tissue that is not damaged. Now, that's not enough to say that it's causal, right? Correlation does not equal causation. But what we do know is when we look at animal models, this NHE causes amyloid plaque formation in the brain, and amyloid plaque is associated with neurodegenerative diseases, including Alzheimer's, okay? So we can't just say, well, because it's there, it's got to be a problem. No, we've got research showing that it for sure is a problem. When we talk about animal studies, right, because there's a study on mice that shows that diets high in canola oil are shown to significantly impair memory and lead to, lead to this amyloid plaque formation, the amyloid plaque that is uh, a big factor in neurodegenerative diseases. The tricky thing is, you know, we're not mice, we're not animals, so we have to keep that in mind. But it also would not be ethical to, uh, with this kind of data, to then do a human control group and say, hey, to this group, we're going to give them a ton of canola oil. We think it's a big problem, but we're not sure. We want to test it out. There's so much that we can't do in human studies when we suspect that something is problematic because it just wouldn't be ethical and and that's just like a study no-no. It just can't happen. So we do have to look to animal models, but we got to keep in mind that we're not mice. But that's enough for me to go, ah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned here. There's enough here that is concerning. Another thing, there is a, a Gosh, his name is skipping my mind. Oh, I'll have to do a separate episode on it. But there is a researcher. Oh, man, his name is on the tip of my tongue. Anyway, he is well-known. Seafried. I think it's Thomas Seafried. Very well-known for um, his extensive decades-long research on cancer being a metabolic disease, specifically a disease of the mitochondria, okay? Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Well, I'm doing my research on seed oils, and this comes up because these byproducts of linoleic acid, they're that cytotoxic mutagenic stuff that they, that they initiate, it's all related to the mitochondria, okay? No doubt at all that that's why we see this link between seed oil consumption and higher rates of cancer, all right? We know that cancer is caused in part by oxidative stress. What I was describing about this cascade of, of electron uh, oxidation, loss of electrons, that is oxidative stress. That's what oxidative stress is. And we know that cancer is caused, among other things, by oxidative stress, also by mitochondrial dysfunction, also by genetic damage. We know that seed oils cause all three. One of the mechanisms here that I haven't mentioned yet is cardiolipin damage. Cardiolipin is one of the phospholipids that's in the mitochondria. So I don't know if you can think back to like seventh grade science class and you're looking at the structures within the cell. The mitochondria is there. It's the powerhouse of the cell. Well, the mitochondria has like this phospholipid bilayer. Cardiolipin is the primary phospholipid in that lipid bilayer, that protective area of the mitochondria. And 
the the uh, linoleic acid byproducts, HNE, it damages this phospholipid bilayer, the cardiolipin in there. So we know one of the markers of cancer presence is proliferation of, of this cardiolipin damage, right? The more that we see of that, we know that cancer is there. We know that cancer is growing. We know that it's really active. And one of the byproducts of linoleic acid is causing that, making that happening, uh, making that happen. Also, one last thing before we move away from some of this heavier science talk. H&E also has been shown to damage one of our specific genes, P53. Well, P53 is a tumor suppressor. So not only is it doing these things that that cause cancer, it's simultaneously damaging the gene that is a known tumor suppressor. So it's inhibiting your body's ability to fight off these um, cellular dysfunction processes. Bad news, bad news. You can see why I was nervous about any conversations around giving my kids formula. There are formulas not manufactured in the United States that do not have seed oils, but I would say the dramatic majority of uh, baby formulas, unfortunately, have seed oils. Okay, so how do we know if something contains seed oils? How do we know uh, when we're going through our pantry or looking at our fridge or going out to eat? When it comes to going out to eat, assume they're cooking with seed oils. I mean, you can certainly ask, but you can pretty much guarantee they're cooking with seed oils because they're less expensive. As I mentioned earlier, they're much more flavor neutral. Um, they're light. They don't go bad. Pretty much guarantee it. When we're talking about at home and at the grocery store, you got to read your labels, all right? I went through our, our fridge and our pantry to see, like, is anything going to surprise me here? I'll tell you about that in a minute. But when you're looking at labels, you want to look for, and this is not an exhaustive list, if you look at something and you go, is this a seed oil? Google it, all right? We all have got a computer in our pockets all the time. Rapeseed oil, canola oil, palm oil, palm kernel oil. That's one you're going to see on a lot of like processed foods, candies, cookies, cakes, palm kernel oil. Soybean oil, cottonseed oil, grapeseed oil, rice bran oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, vegetable oil, hydrogenated vegetable oil. Now, you didn't hear me say olive oil. Olive oil is primarily a monounsaturated fat. So it does have some of these polyunsaturated fats that we're talking about and some of this linoleic acid that we're talking about, but not nearly as much because it's a monounsaturated fat. However, be very careful when you're shopping for olive oil, if you're shopping for olive oil, because a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of brands to save money and increase their margin do a blend. So they'll call it olive oil and then someplace, maybe on the front of the label real small, maybe on the back of the label also real small, it'll say it's a blend and it's and it's also got some soybean oil in there. It's got some corn oil or something like that. And a lot of times they'll even try and make it sound like a blend is a great thing. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Put it back. Put it back. I don't personally do olive oil. Um, I like to stick to avocado oil if I need a cooking oil, or we use a lot of butter and lard when we're cooking. Um, but these are kind of some of the ways that it can show up. One of the best ways to avoid seed oils is to eat out less often, right? If you are in control of what you're making, it's going to be a whole lot easier. 
another huge thing is avoiding processed foods, right? Certainly go through your pantry and if you have corn oil or safflower oil or canola oil, throw it away or use it as a machine lubricant, right? You got a can of Crisco, fantastic. It's going to help you the next time you need like some WD-40 or something. It's great as a lubricant. It is not great for human consumption. It is not fit for human consumption. Throw it away. When it comes to processed foods, let me tell you what broke my little heart. So I try not to give Roman, if you're new to the show, I've got a one-year-old, I've got six-month-old twins as well, but my son Roman, he's almost two. I try not to give him like crackers and processed food all that often. If he's going to have a snack, we try to do fruit or string cheese or something like that. But we absolutely have the Annie's Cheddar Bunny crackers. They're organic. You know, they're great in a pinch if we're in the car and it's not going to make a huge mess. Well, they're gone. They're gone because, unfortunately, they have seed oils. And you might be wondering, like, why? Why would companies do this? And the answer is money. But it's also, they don't spoil, right? They can't make those same crackers with butter because they would go bad. They're not going to sit on a shelf and be shelf stable. So, you know, there's a lot of factors at play. But the fact that these um, polyunsaturated fatty acids, these seed oils, are way cheaper, they're really flavor neutral, and they basically don't spoil in the way that butter spoils, that's why they're used. But you got to look at everything, right? I was uh, I was telling my husband, I too try to be mindful, like we don't keep like processed snacks in the house, except for every once in a while, I love to crumble up a crunchy protein bar and put it in Greek yogurt. And that's just like such a treat for me, except the freaking one that I like has seed oils in it. So... Bye-bye, Power Crunch, and I'm going to have to find something that doesn't or, you know, make my own something crunchy, which I'm sure I can do. I'm just kind of a bummer. That was a sad thing. But look, if you drink Coffee Mate, it's in there, and you're just like pouring these seed oils into your coffee multiple times a day, and it's really bad news. But the same thing is true if you're cooking with this stuff, and remember, heating makes it worse, so you just have to to read the labels and look for this stuff. It is so, so important. Keep in mind, you know, when we talk about like brown rice oil, rice bran oil, it's called often the same thing because we're talking about the hull that's on the outside of the, you know, the coats kind of the brown rice. 34 cups of rice you'd have to have to get the equivalent of what's used to make a meal. A meal. Not just like a meal for your family, a meal for you, a serving of a meal. So, so concentrated, so concentrated. So the changes that I made were Annie's cheddar bunnies went away. Sorry, Roman. He's going to beg for crackers for a while and not get them. And uh, the protein bars that I really like, eh, not so much, not so much. And I'm going to really keep this in mind when we are eating out and ask, like if I go out and I order a steak, I'm going to say, hey, can you cook my steak in butter or can you grill it dry? And I'm going to make those requests. And is it perfect? No. But I also think that, you know, diving into this research and really understanding it, especially when you have small kids, this will influence me to eat out less and cook at home more, which is probably a better thing overall. Um, But you just, it's buyer beware. You just have to be really, really careful. And I hope that this was helpful as an overview. If there are questions that you have, let me know. I can do a QA and a episode follow-up or I can do another full episode and dive into any other aspects of this that you want to get into. But look, dial back big time, big time.
on the seed oils. All right. Have an amazing day. I'll talk to you soon.